informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Friday, October 6, 2023. The Feast of St. Bruno. <laughs> yes, we are going to talk about Bruno. He was born in Cologne, Germany, around the year 1030. He was a very quiet young man, and he went to Reims, France, where the school was famous to go and study. He was of keen intellect, and his application of study earned him the admiration of the Archbishop of Reims. They invited him to become the director of the educational establishments of the diocese. Now, you have to understand, the Diocese of Reims, France, was one of the most important dioceses in the world at the time. In fact, the Archbishop of Reims had incredible uh, influence, politically speaking, so much so that he was the one who would crown the king of France whenever he would be named king. So during this time, the future Pope Urban II, who would the then would later become a preacher of the First Crusade, called Saint Bruno to himself to be the papal household preacher. Now, during before this happened, he was in Reims and he realized the Archbishop of Reims was engaged in simony. Well, this is the practice of uh, selling. The ecclesiastical privileges, trying to, you know, wheel and deal, trying to make deals with the bishops, and you uh, point your friends, and you uh, exchange money, and make deals, and trade things for religious offices and ecclesiastical privileges. When St. Bruno saw this, he denounced him to the superior ecclesiastics, and for this misdeed of exposing the corruption in the church, he was exiled. He lost his post his titles, his goods, and exiled from his home. During this time, he was sent out into the middle of nowhere where he decided to become a hermit. He understood the vanity of worldly things and abandoned it all to serve God in solitude. But much like all of our, uh, when we try to make plans, uh, God turns those around on us and he used that time to spiritually purify St. Bruno even further to become an even greater saint and that's when Pope Urban II called him to Rome to assist the Apostolic See. And Bruno reluctantly gave up his life of solitude to go and join the then Pope. And he helped establish the Carthusian Order. And while he was there, he formated Pope Urban II with a spirituality of solitude. And out of that spirituality of solitude, what was born from this? Nothing else but the glories of the Crusades. It's kind of interesting that the Crusades would be born from a spirituality, a solitude. A very beautiful thing to think about because it's a silence and reconciliation that can, and rec recollection rather, that can produce an action that is so vigorous and so strong as the First Crusade. Why do you think that is? It's likely because in solitude, you see, if you read the Desert Fathers, the Desert Fathers go to combat with the world, the flesh, and quite explicitly, the devil. And so you understand a world of combat when you're in this kind of life. And going out into the world and back into with, uh, with Pope Urban II, recognizing the situation and the political situation in the world in that time, he can understand 
that it was time to rise up and create warriors for Christ to go out into the battlefield, not just against the world, not just against the flesh, and not just against the devil, but all of the above. So what should we ask for in the Feast of St. Bruno? Let's pray for a love of recollection, of humility, to deny pretensions, to deny worldly goods, and let's pray to the Blessed Virgin that we love spiritual solitude and turn exclusively to our Lord, our Lady, and the Holy Church. Let's pray for this and that he revivify the holy orders, the religious communities, especially the Carthusians, that they be faithful to their founders. Uh, Saint Bruno, pray Pray for for us. And joining us right now is Rudy Carlos. Good morning to you, Rudy. Good morning, Adrian. I think I'm going to take this opportunity this weekend to spend some time in solitude away from you. Uh, And, uh, you know, just think about things a little bit. Kind of like St. Bruno. You're saying that being around me is just too distracting? Yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. Like just, 100%. That's what it is. Yeah, I'm just too exciting, too too fun of a person to be around. Yeah. You know, you're preventing me from the crusades, dude. Ah, uh, I see. I see. You're, you're really holding me back there. All right. Well, in that case, I guess you can have the weekend off. Oh, thanks, uh, man. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> see, I thought you were going to say, I'm going to take a, a weekend of solitude from my family. <laughs> I was going to say that, but I decided not to. <laughs> okay, that's probably wise. Probably wise. Uh, the <laughs> today is going to be a show chock full of combat stories because coming up at 30 past the hour, Dr. Dan Snyder will be joining us to talk about boxing. And we're going to talk about the morality of combat sports, talk about the some really famous boxers who were Catholic and people don't realize how tied up the Catholic Church was in boxing up until uh, 1960s-ish, 1970s. And at 15 past the hour, I'm going to share with you the fake news story that kicked off the LGBT movement. It is like the George Floyd of BLM. It's like the George Floyd of the LGBT movement or or Trayvon Martin of the LGBT movement. So we're going to talk about that at 15 past the hour. At the ne- in the next hour, Dave Palmer is back on to discuss uh, discuss with us, I can say words, the will of God. And if I have time... I went to go see a movie last night, which is kind of why I'm tired. The Dominican Sisters of Mary Immaculate Province invited me to go see Mother Teresa and Me, and I went to go see it, and I have some thoughts about the movie. I will let you know about that either sometime during the show today, but if we don't have time, then in the after show for sure, so you're going to want to join us in the after show. How do you do so? Well, we're live streaming, not just on the radio, but we're live streaming to our social media platforms. You can join us on Facebook, on YouTube, on Rumble, on Odyssey. Just look up Catholic Drive Time on your favorite social media app, and you can join us live and enter in our discussion. It's very fun. And, of course, before we begin with prayer, make sure you sign up for our email list. I'm going to be sending out an email later today, so make sure you're on that email list. And I'm going to be sending out a link to join our private Telegram chat where we interact with you all day long and we kind of have a little community. We pray for each other, offer prayer intentions, and just discuss uh, breaking news, stories, whatever's happening, just whatever's going on in our lives. Uh, much more casual. Rudy shares bird pictures. It's a, it's a lot of fun. So make sure you join us there. The link is going to be in our email list. Go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt, grnonline.com forward slash cdt now let's begin in prayer 
We're going to be praying for your intentions. We're going to be praying that you have a blessed and holy weekend, that everything goes according to plan this weekend, or at least God's plan. We pray for the salvation of souls, the liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church, for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those that we promise to pray for. In a special way, I ask for your prayers that my grandfather have a miraculous healing of all of his medical problems and the and for the synod of synodality that our Lord's will be done at the synod. We'll be praying to Our Lady the Rosary this morning, and we pray this prayer to get you started on your rosaries. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. O Virgin Mary, grant that the recitation of thy rosary may be for me each day in the midst of my manifold duties, a bond of unity in my actions, a tribute of filial piety, a sweet refreshment, an encouragement to walk joyfully along the path of duty. Grant above all, O Virgin Mary, that the study of thy fifteen mysteries may form in my soul little by little a luminous atmosphere, pure, strengthening, and fragrant, which may penetrate my understanding, my will, my heart, my memory, my imagination, my whole being. So shall I acquire the habit of praying while I work without the aid of formal prayer by interior acts of admiration, admiration and of supplication, or by aspirations of love. I ask of thee, O Queen of the Holy Rosary, through St. Dominic, thy son of predilection, the renowned preacher of thy mysteries and the faithful imitator of thy virtues. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. You're listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Now, here are some of today's breaking news and stories for you. There's been a development in the Prigozhin crash. Uh, The hand grenade fragments were found on the bodies of the victims in Prigozhin's plane crash, Putin claims. Russian President Vladimir Putin said Thursday that hand grenade fragments were found on the bodies of people who died in the August 23rd crash of mercenary chief Yegevny Prigozhin's plane. Experts investigating the crash found no indication that the private jet had suffered an external impact. Prigozhin and two of his top lieutenants of the Wagner private military contractor were among the 10 people killed when the jet came down as it flew from Moscow to St. Petersburg. Last week, Putin met with one of Wagner's top commanders to take charge of volunteer units fighting in Ukraine in a sign that the Kremlin intends to keep using the mercenaries after Prigozhin's death. Putin said Thursday that several thousand Wagner troops have signed contracts with the defense ministry. And the ADL folds and agrees to advertise on X, formerly known as Twitter. Almost exactly a month after the date of Elon Musk threatening to file a defamation lawsuit against the Anti-Defamation League, it appears the advocacy group has had a change of heart. The ADL alleged that Mr. Musk had failed to clamp down on hate speech on the social media platform since his takeover last year, allowing disinformation to proliferate, something that Mr. Musk strongly denied. And the Biden administration is to restart deportations to Venezuela amid record border crossings. The Biden administration has said that Venezuelan immigrants who illegally entered the United States will be directly deported back to the South American country after a record number crossed the southern border last month. The shift in policy follows years of bypassing regular deportations to Venezuela due to two decades of tense relations with its socialist government. The U.S. has imposed sanctions against the Venezuelan government and national individuals for the last 17 years related to its lack of cooperation on anti-drug and counter-terrorism efforts. Now, those are some of your headlines today, but stay tuned on Catholic Drive Time for more. The Gospel of the Day comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. 
Now, this is a great passage where much could be said. We're going to go through it verse by verse really quickly. Verse 13, Woe to thee, Chorazin! Woe to thee, Bethsaida! For if entire and Sidon had been wrought the mighty works that had been wrought in you, they would have done penance long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Now, what's here is important. Well, there's a number of things that are important. But what we focus on is that our Lord here is actually showing how his divine omnipotence works. Isn't that interesting? He shows that not only does our Lord know all past things and all future things, he also knows all possibilities, meaning he knows what you would have done in a different circumstance. And so he says with infallible knowledge that if Tyre and Sidon had seen the mighty works that were wrought to these people, that he knows with certainty they would have done penance long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Therefore, in verse 14, it says, but it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. Why is this the case? It shows us to much who is given, much is expected. For you and I who have been had access to the true faith, you and I who have access to, for instance, Catholic radio, we have access to the true faith through our family, through our friends, through the miracles of the church, through the saints. It'll be a greater judgment on us than it will be on non-believers, on even Protestants. It'll be a greater judgment. And so, yes, I mean, maybe other, other people will go to hell as well, but we will have a lower place in hell should we fail to live up to the standards. And verse 15, And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, that shall be thrust down to hell. So if anybody is telling me, Adrian, you're saying other people are going to go to hell? No, our Lord is saying it. Take it up with him. Verse 16, it says, He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. Now, the last thing I'll point out here is Cornelius Alapide's commentary on this, who says that we should take from our ambassadors... Namely, he's talking about the apostles, the bishops, our priests, our religious superiors. He said we should regard their commands as if they're issued from the mouth of Christ himself. He said whatever God or man speaking in the place of God enjoins that, quote, unless contrary to the known will of all the almighty. This is important. He goes on and says we must render to those whom God has put over us in all things lawful the same obedience as we would render to God. So always remember, we must obey, but we obey God first. We'll be right back. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard the expression, free love? Do you know what it means? It means false love. True love does not want to be free. It wants to bind itself. It wants to give everything and forever. It wants to make a vow, a promise that it will keep. G.K. Chesterton says the man who makes a vow makes an appointment with himself at some distant time or place. The question is, will he keep the vow? That's the adventure. The perils and the punishment must be real. If I bet, I must be made to pay. Or there's no poetry in betting. If I challenge, I must be made to fight, or there's no poetry in challenging. And if I vow to be faithful, I must be cursed when I'm unfaithful, or there's no fun in vowing. 
Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to learn about a great Catholic saint. Wouldn't it be great if everyone read the lives of the saints? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. It's always good to be here. Happy Friday to you. Or as our friend Lori would say, happy Friday. So welcome to the weekend. You made it. Now, before we jump into this story, I wanted to share a story because I guess it's the anniversary of this. Ha- yeah, it's the anniversary of this happening. So we're going to talk about a Matthew Shepard who is basically the catalyst for the all the LGBT protection laws. Basically, that's what happened. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second, but I wanted to talk just uh, for a moment about some news of the Synod that came out. And I like that news just put this out because Pope Francis just said that the Synod is going to be secret. So he said last week that he might do that, and he was thinking about doing that. He can't, is official that they have been put under secrecy. Uh, the question is, and I haven't been able to find anyone report on this, is it going to be put on by the papal secret or is it just saying like you're bound by confidentiality, like legally speaking? Uh, because the difference would be uh, the papal secret is bound by excommunication. So if you break the papal secret, you're automatically excommunicated. And if you're bound by a contract, or a non-disclosure agreement, well, then it's legal and you might have penalties, whether whatever it might be, whether it be fees or whatever it might be. Uh, the reason why I'm curious about that is because I'm wondering if, um, I'm wondering how would they enforce that? Because they have Protestant and atheist observers and participants in the Synod, non-voting participants in the Synod. And I, how do you bind them by the papal secret since I don't know how you excommunicate an atheist? So I don't really know. I don't really know. I'd be very interested to know what that deal is there. Now, he said that the work of journalists are very important, uh, but he doesn't. He wants them to have the priority of listening. Now, I think it's not a good idea to do this because it's only going to cause more confusion because there's going to be leaks. We already know. And then everybody's going to be freaking out and saying, oh, no, we can't trust it. It's a leak. We have to wait for the official document, and it's just going to cause more and more confusion. And I think that's very bad. It's be better to have things clear. So I think that's very important that we kind of understand that. And not to mention that the talking about these things actually does make change. And how do we know that? Because Pope Francis actually said so here. LifeSite News says he commented that such a style of less reporting would remove the pressure of public opinion from the Synod, citing the key themes from the previous synods of the family and on the Amazon. Quote, here's the quote from Pope Francis. When there was a synod on the family, there was the public opinion made by our worldliness that it was to give communion to the divorce. And so we entered the synod. When we had the synod for the Amazon, there was a public opinion, the pressure that it was to make very pro body. We went in with that pressure. Now there is a speculation about this synod. What are we there going to do? 
maybe priesthood to women. I don't know. These things they say outside and they and they say so many times that bishops are afraid to communicate what's going on, end quote. Basically, he just said that public pressure actually works, that there were so many Catholics that were saying, whoa, 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 we better not be doing this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm, we're watching this in very closely. Don't do anything crazy that they said we had to. We The bishops went in and they were kind of afraid to to speak openly. They didn't want to speak their mind. And so now we have to put the papal, the, we have to put a secrecy over it, which is going to be before, during, and after indefinitely after the synod, which I'm like, that's, that's rough. And I just think it kind of just revealed that talking about these issues and promoting these issues and praying about these issues actually does change people. Cause people were like, Oh, look, the Amazon sun, we thought it was going to be super bad, but it was only a little bad. Well, it's because people actually put pressure on people and they chose to not go as far as they wanted to go so i think that's important to keep in mind now on to this story father jim and i think i honestly i don't mean to be rude i think his last name is sicko i think it's s-i-c-h-k-o sitchko maybe uh he just posted this tweet which i'm was like father this is you're spreading you're spreading misinformation you're spreading uh, bad, really bad misinformation. He said, 25 years ago tomorrow, that would be today, October 6th, Matthew Shepard was beaten and left for dead, tied to a fence in Wyoming. The only part of his face not covered in blood was two white lines running down his cheeks from where his tears ran dry. His death ignited a fight for equality. You don't have to be gay to be a supporter. You just have to be human. And has a picture of this gay man. Now, I'm thinking, Father, why are you spreading this misinformation? Because this guy, Matthew Shepard, was not killed as a LGBT hate crime. This is a very common misconception today. Why? Because these homosexualist groups push this narrative that this was, oh, a gay hate crime, it's so bad. And they tried to push this to say, we need protection laws uh, homosexuals need to be put as a protected class. LGBT people are being hunted down and killed in the streets. That didn't happen. It's just fake news. What actually happened? This is reported by The Guardian, which if you know, The Guardian is a wild leftist organization, but they even came out to reveal the truth. And here's a summary, and I'll get into the details in a second. The guy was actually killed almost, most likely over crystal meth. Not because he was gay. How do I know this? Because he was one, a heroin addict, and one, a crystal meth addict. Two, he had no, we, we know from public information that he committed sodomy with one of his killers. So one of his killers was gay. And then the, they stole $10,000 worth of crystal meth from his house. So it sounds to me that this was not a gay hate crime. This was a drug-related crime. Or perhaps it was a lover's dispute, one or the other. Because this is what actually happened. And yet they built the whole, uh, what is it called, the Lamar Project? The, Lar- the, Lam- the Laramie Project or something like that? It was, it's, a, it's a huge thing that was uh, created in the, in the 90s and 2000s where they had in schools all over America, luckily none of my schools, but they had schools all over America promoting this, and 
it was this idea that, oh, gays are being bullied, they're being killed, they're this bigotry. And they started trying to encourage politicians, celebrities, kind of like the whole Me Too movement, the BLM movement, where everybody posted the black square. All the people came out saying hashtag Me Too. It was the same situation. They created the Matthew Shepard Foundation. They started fighting and campaigning for gay rights. They started education programs, all these things. Why? Based off of this guy who was absolutely just a debaucherous man. And they created this. Now, the Guardian explains this, and it's funny. They said that there was a book, and the guy who wrote the book was not a right-winger. He was just reporting on the real details of the case. It says it's called The Book of Hidden Truths About the Murder of Matthew Shepard, and it was utterly condemned by LGBT activists. They refused to, to look at the book at all. In fact, it's kind of funny. They, they, a number of outlets said that it was a horrible book and they refused to read it. And I'm like, so how do you know it's a horrible book if you didn't read it? They're like, so they, they just come out completely against this. And the reason why I think it's important to bring this up is because so many of these movements are built on false narratives. They stage, and it's funny because if these things were actually happening, at the rates they were happening, they wouldn't have to make it up. They could just find a real case. It's very interesting, right? Like, How is it that they had to use George Floyd, who tried to, who put a, a pregnant woman, who held up a pregnant woman at gunpoint, who overdosed on fentanyl, and they made him their martyr? Was there nobody else? Was there not some innocent, a young a mother married, had kids, it's working a nine to five, who was then brutally murdered by a white racist. That wasn't a real story that they could use. Isn't that interesting? They had to find and fabricate and make up a fake story. The same thing happened with Trayvon Martin. The same thing happens with the LGBT movement. This happens over and over again. We see it as a common pattern. They created craft these narratives that are false in order to promote these things. Now, the Guardian says, Matthew's drug abuse and the fact that he knew one of his killers prior to the attack was never explored in court. Neither was a rumor that the killers knew that he had access to a shipment of crystal meth with a street value of $10,000, which they wanted to steal. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that that was not reported? Now, the Guardian is like, well, this doesn't actually negate the whole gay rights movement or yada, yada, yada. Uh, but here are the details of the case. So I actually recommend you read the entirety of this article from Guardi- The Guardian. It's a kind of an older argue or article from 2014, which this is how long we've known this. This has been out in the public information for a long time. And yet we still have people like Father Jim and who was promoting this false narrative, this false narrative. And they're still promoting it. And I had um, somebody, people were mad at me for talking about this on Twitter and revealing the truth of the story. And I'm like, why are y'all, why are y'all upset? Uh, Damian Thompson, who I like, I like Damian Thompson, is uh, writes for The Spectator. And he was like, this young man was tortured and tied to a fence before dying of his injuries. The narrative gay murder may be wrong, but this is your response? I'm like, dude, I'm very clearly trying to explain how the media lies. Like, yeah, obviously it's bad when people die. I don't want people to be murdered for any reason. But it's simply the case that this is not 
the story that they're making. That's simply what I'm trying to say. And I think it's very important to keep in mind. So I don't know why people keep trying to push these narratives, try to promote these narratives. And well, I do know why. I do know why they try to promote these narratives. But I don't know why people get upset when you expose these narratives. I guess it's because we kind of have these narratives so deep rooted into us by the media where it's exposed to us. We have told the story before because maybe you were duped by the story in the past and you shared the story with others. And now you've kind of have this feeling where you're saying, oh, man, I have to defend the story because if I do, I have to admit I'm wrong. And I have to admit that I kind of deceived a bunch of people on accident when that requires humility. And that requires humility to recognize, oh, man, I was wrong. I have to repent of this and I have to correct the people that I have led astray. And I understand that. I understand that it's difficult to try to be in that situation, uh, but it's a perfect opportunity to enact the spirit of humility. And, you know, I'm sure there are many stories that I have told in the past that are false. In fact, um, you know, I can actually attest that my, my mom will correct me on stories all the time whenever I tell personal anecdotes. Um, and especially whenever I have stories about my childhood, my mom will text me later and be like, Adrian, you said X, Y, or Z. That's not how that story happened. It was this, that, and the other. And I'm like, oh, mom, I was basically correct, okay? I was like in the ballpark. Like, I was a kid. I don't remember all the details, okay? Mom, you don't understand. It was the Mandela effect. <laughs> right. Uh, everything's changed. We're in a different timeline now. It was back when the Berenstein Bears were the Berenstein Bears, not exactly. the Berenstein Bears. I, I, completely esoteric. Totally got it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's going to do it. Uh, I didn't get any time to talk about Mother Teresa and me. I just saw that movie. And maybe we'll, t- we'll talk about it in the after show. Coming up, Dr. Dan Snyder will be joining us. We're going to be talking about boxing. Is it okay for Catholics to do boxing? Plus, what are some spiritual benefits from boxing? We'll talk about this coming up next with Dan Snyder. We'll be right back with more right after this. Have you heard about life coaching? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Coaching is one of the things Jesus did with his disciples. Whenever they were stuck, overwhelmed, or even struggling a bit, Jesus asked questions that brought clarity and hope. He then used ongoing conversations that helped them to navigate the path and completely change their lives. Just like the disciples, we too can find ourselves feeling stuck, overwhelmed, and struggling a bit. Maybe you need help in your marriage or with a parenting issue, you're navigating a loss, you want to improve your health, or advance your career. At StandTallToday.com, our experienced coaches will help you to take another look at life, renew your hope, get past those challenges, and step into living abundantly. You can find out more about coaching and schedule a free introductory call by visiting us at StandTallToday.com. Listen, life is too short to stay stuck. Contact us at StandTallToday.com. Hey, Donnie, what are the two most important things we receive at Mass? Daddy, Christmas, scripture. That's right. All right, one more. Who loves you the most? Jesus. That's right. Mary. That's right. (laughs) They love us too. If you don't educate your children in the faith, who will? Educate yourself and your family by listening daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network. And make sure to get the GRN app by logging online to grnonline.com. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos, and here are more breaking news and headlines for you. More people in a new survey claim no religious affiliation. 30% of Americans do not identify with a religious group, and among them, 
43% still believe in God despite their dislike for organized religion. The trend of people moving away from identifying with a religious group is seen as a bad thing by more Americans overall, including about half of those with a religious affiliation, obviously. Atheists, agnostics, and nothings in particular tend to lean toward the Democratic Party, with two-thirds of atheists and agnostics and half of the nothings in particular identifying as Democrats or leaning toward the Democratic Party. And according to the uh, to Kirby, uh, abortion in military is vital to national security. Biden administration national security official John Kirby called abortion a, a necessary health care uh, this week, arguing that the Pentagon's controversial policy of using taxpayer dollars to pay for abortions in the military is vital to national security. You heard it there first, folks. Uh, Kirby also alleged that Senator Tommy Tuberville from Alabama is uh, his ongoing uh, hold on senior military nominees and protests against the abortion policy is impairing national security. Now, those are all your headlines this morning. May God bless all of your holy efforts and have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. Uh, joining us right now is Dr. Dan Snyder. He is the adjunct professor of theology at Franciscan University of Steubenville, but that's less important for today. He's also a former amateur boxer and a U.S. Army helicopter pilot and a Gulf War veteran. And he also, which is relevant for our conversation, has dedicated his life to combat both in the military, but also in the spiritual realm. He's a founding member of Liber Cristo, a movement that equips priests and laity in the apostolate of exorcism. Uh, good morning to you, Dr. Snyder. Hey, Jen. It's great to see you again. Yeah, I'm praise. excited about this show. Yeah, praise be to God. It's not too often that we hear people talking about boxing, especially in a positive light. I was looking online to find to see if anybody else has talked about this topic. And usually when it comes up among Catholic commentators, they're they're bashing boxing. And I'm like, what's up, guys? Why are y'all against this? And so I think it's very important that we start off the conversation by kind of um, addressing the elephant in the room. Uh, the people automatically say combat sports, that's immoral. That's bad. Shouldn't do it. We should avoid it. They will even, most people will even go so far to say even like sports like uh, football, rugby, things like that, that are going to harm the body should be avoided as well. Uh, Dr. Snyder, what say you? Yeah, no, I would radically disagree. I think that's just a product of the, the hyper-feminization of our culture. Um, at this point, we're, we're living in a time where, where any sort of expression of, of masculinity is considered toxic masculinity, um, which is a very loose definition. Here's what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that the runners in the stadium all run the race, but only one wins the prize, runs so as to win? Every athlete exercises discipline in every way. They do it to win a perishable crown, but we an imperishable one. Thus, I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight as if I were shadow boxing. No, I drive my body and I train it for fear that after having preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. So St. Paul recognizes the value of, of, of discipline of sport. John Paul II picks up on this and he wrote, he wrote and spoke about the, the sport as the school of virtue. In fact, in the, in the early, uh, in the 1900s, the, the Catholic youth, the CYO, I remember participating in CYO as a kid, started in Chicago for inner city kids, largely teaching them boxing to teach and through the sport of boxing, taught them the school of, that became the school of virtue for young 
young uh, young men, particularly uh, from immigrant families. So boxing from the beginning has been associated with Catholicism uh, 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 from the beginning because of the, the the value that it brings, the virtue that it develops, the virtues of the, the spiritual value of suffering, uh, of, of discipline, et cetera. So, no, I would radically disagree with with that premise today. I also think it's interesting that St. Paul says that he does not do it as if he's shadow boxing. Because many Good people point. will point out the fact that they'll say, oh, yeah, it's okay to train in combat sports, but once you start fighting actual other people, that's bad. And basically you're saying the opposite of St. Paul because St. Paul is saying, yeah, I mean, shadow boxing is fine, but you're not actually learning real combat when you're shadow boxing. You have to actually get in the ring to be able to do real fighting. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. This second thing that I think is interesting is the question of, because people will bring up, turn the other cheek, and that we're not turning the other cheek when we do this. And I put out a tweet this morning, because I was thinking about these things, right? And I said, you're incapable of turning the other cheek if you don't even have the capacity, the potentiality of fighting back. And what say you, Dr. Snyder? There's no merit in turning the other cheek if you're not mortifying the turning, you know, turning it back. And I think you have to take all these things in context. Jesus is not is not decrying uh, 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 boxing and combat sports uh, in that particular ver- you know that, that particular verse or, or homily. Um, what we're talking about here is the moral lessons and the spiritual insights that sports bring you, particularly combat sports. You know, I work in the in in, in the, the combat sports of the of the apostolate and, and spiritual warfare, and there's many many uh, uh, analogies. From, that you can pick up from boxing and and um, and apply to the spiritual life, the foundation, uh, the school of virtue, the foundation of bodily mortification leads to spiritual edification. Every fighter knows this. You make sacrifices. Mike Tyson was was once asked, "Why do you run at three o'clock in the morning? You could sleep in another hour or two. He says, "I run at three o'clock in the morning because nobody else is." What we find is in the spiritual life that the demon responds to the imposition of order as much as to the prayers themselves. Every fighter has to have a disciplined uh, a diet and a disciplined exercise. You run three to five miles a day, no less than three, no more than five. After five, it starts breaking the muscles down. You run every day. You have to do these these things. You hit you shadow box. You you hit the bag. You spar. There's certain exercises that you have to do every day to mortify the body, to train the body so it instinctively acts uh, at at the right time uh, in the ring. The same thing in the spiritual life. You have to mortify. This is why in the old calendar we have have, um, uh, ember days, right? Periodic days of fasting and abstinence to train the body. To be subject to the to the to the higher faculties of the intellect, all this stuff is embedded uh, uh, into the sport of boxing. And again, it used to be considered of high value among Catholics. Uh, uh, and I, I still think among among Catholic men today, it's still a very popular sport. Oh, I can I can attest to to the fact that it is. Uh, many of my buddies are very much into that. Uh, you know, it's funny, uh, kind of a side note, Dr. Snyder, since uh, you were a helicopter pilot and you were in the military, I'm very curious. I was at an event not too long ago and a friend of a friend went up to me and was like, hey, Adrian, I heard that you used to train in boxing and I have never, I would never claim to be a good fighter. I've never fought professionally, never fought in amateurs, only ever sparred. So just throwing that out there. So this guy comes up to me and tells me this. And I'm thinking, I'm like, no, not really. And the guy was in the army. He he was in the army. He was like, oh, yeah, I'm into boxing, yada, yada. And he was like, oh, we want to spar. 
And I was like, oh, well, you know, I don't know. And so we kind of went back and forth. I eventually said, all right, fine. So I sparred the guy and I was really kind of surprised at the skill level was not at the level that I was thinking it would be. As side note, what kind of combat training do you learn in the military? It's kind of a, a very interesting question that kind of popped in my head. You know, the Marines, the Marines still do boxing. Um, and they use the pugil sticks. They still use that as part of their basic training. The Army, not so much. At, at range, the Rangers, of course, I learned some of the best hand-to-hand combat um, at, at, through Ranger training uh, that I've forgotten it all. I wish I could have remembered it all. But it was stuff that was that predated all the MMA. It predated all that stuff. So the Special Forces guys get get a lot of combat training. But the basic military guy doesn't get much boxing, not much boxing uh, at all. It, you, so he probably would have been a brute and a brawler just throwing haymakers at Yeah, him, pretty much. Guess. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I was kind of surprised by that. I would I would just assume, which I guess there you go, you know what they say about assuming. Uh, yeah, maybe, what you'll find is I, I box with the Army a little bit. I've trained with the Army, the Army boxing team. And what you'll find is the most – fit fighters in the amateur boxing world are the, are the army boxers and some of the best boxers in the, in the world. They, they have an automatic seat into the Olympic trials. Whoever wins the army boxing um, uh, uh, title gets an automatic uh, tr- trial into the Olympic trials because of their, their madness to fitness. They're some of the most fit fighters. They're just known as they're never going to get tired, okay. but that doesn't mean that the average soldier knows how to fight. Right. Yeah, I noticed that. I that kind of uh, figured that out, and I was kind of surprised by that. I guess I just assumed that they all were, were taught how to box. But we're going to go to a quick break in just a moment. When we come back, I want to talk about a little bit more in regards to the spiritual analogies of boxing. But also, did you know that there are a lot of famous boxers who are Catholic? We're going to talk about that when we come back as well. Uh, plus... I, I gotta mention, I just cannot, we can't talk about boxing and not mention the Rocky series. One of my favorite series of all time. Uh, plus everybody know, I think my name is Adrian. We have the classic, yo, Adrian. So, uh, that always becomes a thing that we, that comes up in conversation. So make sure you stick with us. We're gonna be talking about this coming up in the next segment. Uh, but don't go anywhere. And if you can go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Uh, There you can sign up for our email list and uh, we send you all sorts of interesting facts and we interact with you. It'll be a great time. So join our email list, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. More with Dr. Snyder when we come back. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. I would imagine your pastor preaches from the text which says, We preach Jesus Christ crucified. So then, where's the crucifix in your church? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, history. Under the dread of persecution and death, the crucifix was displayed at Mass, but with great caution due to the threats of the Roman emperors and the pagan haters of Christianity. Traveling up through time, Pope Pius V in 1570 made it mandatory to display a crucifix in every church. Secondly, the Bible. 1 Corinthians 1. One says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block. You see, there was never any embarrassment of his corpse. In fact, two men of great renown, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, boldly handled the dead body of Jesus. And thirdly, my comeback. You see, at times, the early church held mass in the catacombs to honor the shed blood of the brave martyrs. Sad to say, many contemporary churches don't even have a cross in their church, let alone a crucifix. Also, could a crucifix on your neck cause others to think you are Catholic? St. Peter, it must have been horrible when you heard that rooster crow. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for vocations to the priesthood. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for priestly vocations? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. It's always good to be here. You know, it's really interesting. We're talking about the sport of boxing and combat sports. And, you know... This topic comes up, people get upset, they're saying, oh, you know, those things are bad, you shouldn't do them. But the Catholic Church has a long history of being involved in boxing specifically, especially, you know, the fighting Irish. You have uh, these these traditions in the Catholic Church, people kind of you read about it in history, they kind of break it down by ethnic class, but really... It was very much a Catholic thing, more by religion than it is by ethnicity. You see the Italians, you see all sorts of people, uh, Rocky Massiano, all these people. And to join joining us right now to talk about this is Dr. Dan Snyder. He is an associate professor at Franciscan University of Steubenville. But for our purposes, he is a a a amateur, former amateur boxer, and he was a Army helicopter pilot. So he's very familiar with combat. Uh, good morning, and thank you for joining us, Dr. Snyder. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Agent. It's a, it's a great pleasure, always, especially to talk about one of my favorite subjects. So I appreciate it. Yeah, praise be to God. It's uh, not something that's talked about often, but I think it's something that should be talked about more often. Now, I did want to bring up this topic of kind of a spiritual analogy of boxing. We kind of talked about it a minute ago. But, you know, there's something about it as well that always kind of struck me, especially whenever I would watch the Rocky movies, which is one of my favorite series of all time, of this idea that a man would go out, he'd get knocked down, and keep rising up time after time after time. It just strikes in us as a as a human person. I was going to say as an American, but really as a human person, to see, want to see someone be knocked down and rise up again. And I think it has an exact analogy of the resurrection, like we see someone get knocked down, they come back, and then they win. And that's what we like to see. That's the, that's the mentality we like to see. And, and the Rocky movies are formulaic, the same exact story over and over again, but I don't get tired of watching it. Um, tell me about what you kind of see as more an, an analogy toward the spiritual life and to the life of Christ. Right. You see, you, see, you know, uh, um, virtue and vice are the same, the same uh, have the same mechanics, the repeated acts. And in boxing, you have to do repeated acts. You 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 know the first several you know shadow boxing when guys come to my gym and they want to work out and they want to learn how to fight uh, because they're getting bullied at school or whatever. I'll make them sit up against the wall and just throw jabs hundreds at a time. Throw the right hand, but their shoulder against the wall to keep them from bowing their arms out. That's part of the discipline that it requires. This is why the the, the combat sports is a school of virtue. Um, the, the the value of bodily mortification. To, to, to bring about spiritual edification, the spiritual value of suffering, the, 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 the bodily suffering as a pathway to spiritual purity, fighting for something greater than oneself. These are all virtues that, that we need today in our culture, in our Catholic culture. Um, 
the, the spirit of sacrifice, but also learning how the enemy works as well. There, when when about a, I don't know if you watched the Tyson Fury Dylan White fight from from last year from 2022. He's fighting he's fighting Dylan White uh, Tyson Fury, who's a fantastic fighter by the way, a freakish uh, a fighter, uh, as good as as good he is and gracefully is as big as he is, and. He 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 starts catching, and, the, and one of the commentators caught it that he would he would start to he would flinch after about the second round. He would kind of do a little feint, and White starts covering up for like he would cover up, but he would throw his elbows out and leave his chin open. And the announcer said he better watch it. He better watch it because he's open for the uppercut. Sure enough, in the fifth round, Fury throws that same feint. Uh, White covers, but he leaves his chin open, and then he leads with a left uppercut. And it was called the uppercut hurt around the world, just dropped him. But it wasn't a one-time lucky punch. This is a punch that was set up. This is a punch that that took uh, uh, a long time to set up. And when he threw it, he threw it at the exact right time. The, our enemy works the same way. He tries to manipulate. He tries to set us up. He tries to, to habituate, St. Thomas Aquinas says, to habituate our reaction to certain things. This is why mortifying our bodies and being pure, letting our physical bodies help us become through through suffering and, and sacrifice to an endurance uh uh learning to f- find some spiritual purification the enemy uh, spiritual the spiritual life is a combat sport it's a full contact sport and so we have we can learn lessons from boxing and from from the great ones in the sport of boxing particularly the catholic fighters on 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 how this benefits the spiritual life it's not just brute force it's not just mm-hmm. violence this is a controlled thing that you're fighting, not against that guy in front of you. You're really ultimately fighting against yourself. Amen. You know, I think that's important to keep in mind, too, what you just said there, is that this is not two guys just slugging it out. This is a real strategic event. Uh, many people would describe it as a physical chess match uh, because it really is. I mean, they call it the sweet science for a reason. And I think it's very important to keep in mind because many people don't like it because they think it's just two guys trying to knock each other out, just slugging it out, and whoever can endure the most punches wins is essentially what most people have a perception of. But what you said there really reminded me of this fight last weekend with Charlo and Canelo. It was very interesting because Canelo dominated Charlo, which everybody didn't was not expecting him to dominate him. But when I was listening to some people talk about it, they pointed out a detail that I did not notice. When Canelo fought uh, Dimitri Bivol and lost, I mean, they, they gave it a draw, but they gave it the other way, but the, they gave it to, to Bivol but barely, which... Bavall destroyed Canelo, on my opinion. But what they noticed was every time Canelo would step, he would take mm, approximately a, a, a couple inches too much of a step. And Bavall timed it and was punching him as he had one foot in the air so he couldn't get out of the way fast enough. And in the fight with, with Charlo, he corrected that and took steps that were just, just inches smaller just inches smaller steps that way he was never caught where his feet were off the ground and that small change was he was able to counter punch charlo and able to move out of the way of charlo before he's able to get hit and i think that emphasizes the point of the small details in the spiritual life matter they matter a lot like this kind of idea that venial sins are no big deal is just completely erroneous because it sets you up for a knockout uh tell me what what do you think about that dr snyder no, absolutely. I was training a fighter once, and he had this tendency to, to bow his elbows out. I don't know why. And, and I said, look, you're going to get hit. You're going to get hit in the stomach. You're leaving it wide open. 
No, no, no. Okay, yeah, yeah. So we go to the gym for the first time to take me sparring. I'm taking him down to the, the the police athletic, the Powell Center, where I, where I trained when I was younger. And we go down to the Powell Center, and my son's training fighters down there. And I said, hey, man, hook me up. Hook my guy up. So we hook him up with this young fighter who was a – he was an orphan, classic. His name was Creed. Tough kid, tough kid, like a 14-year-old kid. But, man, he was tough. And he says to my son, am I working in my sparring? He said, just spar him. Take it easy on him. So he, he gets into the ring, and my guy starts doing this bowing out thing. And so Creed sees the opening. He drops a right hand right right in the gut, and my guy goes down and takes – he drops him with a, with a body shot. He goes down and takes a knee. And so – and that was worth a 100 lessons of me telling him, you're going to get hit in the stomach. you got to keep your hands in tight. you got to keep your hands in tight. So in the spiritual life, we can read all about it. You can read all about the, the spiritual life. I can tell you, you got to have custody of the eyes if you're a man. You got to get control of your eyes, and 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 to do as first the first movement to interior purity is the exterior custody of the eyes. I can tell you that all day long. But the minute you lose custody of the eyes, and you you can see how quickly you can fall into impurity, and from impurity into into you know a pornography. But once you take that shot one time, you learn your lesson. This is one of the values of, of boxing. The second value of this particular incident was he took a knee and he wanted to quit. And I'm like, no, you get your butt back up and you finish this round. I don't care how I don't care how how much it hurt. You you take your punch and you get up. You get you get eight seconds. That's all you get, and you get back in there and you learn how to survive after taking a shot. These are value. These are valuable lessons that that we don't have today. Our young men today, and I don't want to sound like an old guy. They got cool beards. They're rock, you know. They're they're all muscular, and they got their skinny jeans, you know. And and they 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 drink their bourbon and they have their cigars. But how many of our young men can take a body shot in the spiritual life and get off and get off get it back on their feet and finish the round? That's what spiritual endurance is, and this is what we learn through the sport of boxing. Now, before we run out of time, I did want to switch over to talking about the Catholic boxers you know the famous one everybody well maybe not everybody but people know rocky marciano and famously people would say and i think that's accurate is he was the one that they based the movie rocky off of uh tell me about your favorite catholic boxers and what lessons we can learn from them yeah one of my favorite of course rocky marciano uh that one writer said he fear was not in his vocabulary and pain had no meaning. I mean, the, the, the whole story of Rocky was kind of inspired by Marciano, the only undefeated heavyweight champion. He attributes his undefeated record to his mother who prayed the rosary for him before every fight. Another one, Gene Tunney, the fighting Marine fought in World War One, um, um, an Irish immigrant. I mean, Gene Tunney was a great boxer. He was much better of a boxer. He wasn't a puncher like Marciano. Um, also a tremendous fighter, uh, beat Jack Dempsey twice. One of my favorites, though, is Floyd Patterson, a very obscure. Nobody really knows Floyd Patterson. I met his uh, I met his son-in-law when I was in flight school. His son-in-law went to West Point. Um, and so uh, and I got a, I got an autographed picture of Floyd Patterson He to my friend Dan. And so Floyd Patterson won the Olympic uh, middleweight title and went on to become heavyweight champion. But uh, he was also a, uh, a Knight of Columbus. Uh, a devout Catholic. He he first came into the Catholic faith. I think it was a story. He was fighting in Arkansas, Fort Smith, Arkansas, and uh, ba- back in the fifties. And there's a lot of racial tension in that part of the country. And he wanted. He was advocating for for integrated places for fighters to fight that was integrated. 
And there was such an outcry against him um, that there was kind of this turning violent. And the local Catholic priest took him into the rectory and he and his fight camp all stayed at the Catholic rectory. And from that um, was, was part of his conversion of the Catholic faith, but was also uh, uh, allegedly a very devout Catholic. So those are those are three of my three of my favorites. Of course, you've got the uh, Cinderella man. Um, was another Irish Irish Catholic um, that that we portray some of his faith uh, in in the in the uh, um, uh, in that movie as well. One scene he says, "I'm all prayed out," right? And sometimes we get that way. Sometimes we do get all prayed out. It doesn't mean being a fighter doesn't mean you're never going to get hit. The the goal of fighting is to hit and not get hit, but you're still going to get hit if you step into the ring. Some of the hardest steps a man could take. Is, is those three steps into the gym when they hear the sound, the doom, the doom, the doom, the, the bells, the, the, the sounds of the gym, walking in there with your bag uh, and, and knowing that you're stepping into this place of work uh, where you get the work done and, and, and you're going to step into the ring. Those three steps in, up into the ring, whether you're sparring, you're fighting the heavyweight championship of the world, those three steps take courage. And those three guys are three of my favorites, Gene Tunney, Rocky Marciano, and Floyd Patterson. How about you? Amen. Well, you stole you stole mine, uh, Rocky Marciano. Uh, I did not know about Floyd Patterson. I never never heard of Floyd Patterson. I think that's that's pretty awesome. I also want to point out that there is a, a lot of Catholic priests who are trainers, who trained boxers and people don't realize that there's famous pictures that you can find online. And in fact, there is some Catholic priests who were trainers, not the main trainers granted, but were one of the trainers of Sonny Liston of Joe Lewis. And it was very, very interesting that that was in fact the case. Uh, so it's kind of a, just a misnomer. that is not the case, but we're out of time and we'll have to follow up. And next time, maybe we'll talk about uh, boxing and movies and Catholics and movies like the bells of St. Mary's that you know there was boxing in that movie. Many people don't, but that's hey, out of time. Oh, um, yes, yeah. yes. We'll We're out of time. God bless it. you, we'll Dr. Snyder. I didn't take my faith seriously, which which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. No, I didn't want to give up sin. I mean, the reason we sin is because sin is fun, but it's, it's self-love sin. But it's amazing with God's grace how easy trying to not sin it really is if you've been away from the catholic church for whatever reason we invite you to take another look visit catholicscomehome.org today this is dale alquist with a chesterton minute have you ever heard someone say the catholic church would be okay if it weren't for all the rituals why do people complain about rituals in the church They don't complain about the rituals that fill the rest of their daily lives. They shake hands, they sign their names, they put candles on birthday cakes, they give each other flowers, they put on fancy weddings and somber funerals. Those are all rituals. They are symbols. They are simple ways of representing complex ideas. G.K. Chesterton says, Ritual is a need of the human soul. In fact, it's a need of the human body, like exercise. Destroy your impressive ceremony, and all you get in return is unimpressive ceremony. Want more than a minute? Visit our website at chesterton.org. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to say some prayers for the souls in purgatory. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed often for those in purgatory? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Over the years, people were treated as less than human because they were a different race, a different faith, or vulnerable. But over time, we must learn that we are all God's children, created in His image, that all human creation has an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, a right to love and be loved. So let's cherish the sanctity of life because we know how it feels when others treat us as less than human. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. I enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Snyder. Did you? I'd be very curious. If you'd like to let me know what you thought about our conversation, you should hop on our social media streams, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, and you can interact with us directly. We're your live stream, the whole show on our social media streams, and you can interact. I read your comments. And in the after show, we interact with you. Whatever it is you want to talk about, we discuss. And I enjoyed that conversation. Did you enjoy it? Would you like us to have a part two of this conversation? Or are you like, dude, I never want to hear about that ever again. Uh, let me know. I'd be very curious. Also, let us know if you want to see a fight between Doc and Adrian. <laughs> if you would pay for that. If you would want to contribute to that. I would... What what uh, round would Doc knock Adrian? Out? <laughs> uh, personally, I think it would be round number seven. Round number seven. Round you seven. think I'd last seven rounds? I'm yeah. really thanks, Rudy. I really <laughs> I appreciate that. That's really that's really kind of you. Yeah, I had a friend who was telling me he's like they're they're trying to hype me up. They're like, dude, you could totally beat Canelo. I'm like, dude, I don't want to even be what in the same room with Canelo. No, thank you. I don't want to die. No way, like you're insane. Like I get it. You're trying to be nice, but like no, no, thank you. Uh, but uh, yeah, Dr. Snyder, he's amateur boxer. He was telling me he used to train at some professional boxers. He was on the training team. Um, and I'm like, dude, like he would, even though he's like, getting up there in age, I feel like he'd probably still kick my butt. Uh, so there you go, folks. Uh, but joining us right now is Dave Palmer, not Sissel Anderson. What's up with that? I was getting used to Sissel coming in every weekend, uh, every <laughs> Friday. But good morning to you, Dave. Hey, good morning. I did enjoy that conversation with Dr. Snyder, and I know you probably met him last weekend at the Fullness of Truth Conference. Is that where you uh, came up with that idea? Yes, sir. We were chatting it up. Uh, we had interviewed in the past. He recognized it. He's like, oh, hey, Adrian, how are you doing? And so we were chatting at the Fullness of Truth Conference, and he we started talking about boxing, and he was like, oh, that would be such a good conversation. And I was like, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So that was a great thing. Yes, sir. Yeah. See, I, I got a different little take. Can I can I give a little take on boxing? Go Am ahead. Am I allowed to do that? Of course. <laughs> okay. You're always welcome. I, th- I, I think, you know, if you want to put, like, Thomistic principles on it, I think you have to, uh, like, ask, like, what's the purpose? You know, like, well, what's the end? What's the what's the goal? And, uh, like, should boxing be for entertainment? That, that's, the, that's the question that I throw out mm. there. Uh, should should boxing be so that people make money? You know, if you're, like, training in the military for, like, hand-to-hand combat and you you, you need – to box in order to preserve your life or you, you, you box in order to protect your family and you go to the, the gym and spar. 
But if it's like entertainment, I don't know. It's all. It's almost like I don't know. I, I, I used to. I used to sit in my apartment and watch boxing all the time. I've lost my interest in it. Okay, this is just my take because I'm like, you know what? What's what's the point? Well, For money. It's interesting though. So the question would be the whether or not prize fighting is moral. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, that'd be an interesting conversation. No, that'd be that's very interesting. I think. Yeah. I mean, there's. I guess you could say you could probably may you may be able to say, and I'm just thinking out loud right now. I think you might be able to say something along the lines of, "It is the the primary end of the fighting is to to make money, but the secondary end of it is good things like, for instance, well, I would even say that you know making money not, is not necessarily a bad thing, but you would say okay, secondary end would be um, perfection of the body." perfection of skill, all these other things. And so does the, does the secondary ends um, make the primary end, does it, does, it, does it make the primary end less of a, um, well, because the problem is I would, I would not necessarily agree that, that, make, that fighting for money is necessarily bad. Um, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. Like, well, yeah, that's uh, just uh, to kind of throw that in there as a different little thing to consider, because I, I would tend to say it, it, I don't think it's that's it's not the purpose of fighting is to make money, you know. So anyways. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess because like, for gladiator, gladiator fighting, because yeah, gladiator <laughs> fighting would certainly be wrong. Right. So you would say that uh, yeah. trying to like mortal combat would be would be wrong. Right. Because uh, you're trying yeah. to the end is to to kill someone. That's the goal. Um, I wouldn't even be opposed if, like, at a at a Catholic school, they had like boxing for PE or something to learn discipline, to learn how to defend yourself, you know, to to kind of tie it into the, the the care of the body and defense of the of the soul. Uh, but but again, I, I would just say if you're if, if if the principal purpose is to make money and and gain fame, then might not be a good idea. So anyways, yeah, that's interesting. I'll throw, now there used to be uh, there used to be Catholic schools used to have boxing clubs. Um, in fact, my high school, St. Thomas High School in Houston, used to have a boxing club way back when. Not not any time I was alive, but way back when there were some of the old principal was telling me, ah, we used to have a boxing club, and the guys, the boys used to settle settle disputes in the in the ring. And I was like, that's interesting. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. No, that's an interesting discussion. We'll have to uh, put a put a pin in that and revisit it at a later date. Maybe we'll do a, a back to the father debate. Uh, whether or not uh, prize fighting is moral, and we'll do we'll do that. That'd be that'd be an interesting thing. But what's on the docket for Back to the Father today? Uh, well, today we're going to do a, a talk about the will of God. You know, basically, you know, what does God want? And there's so many little subtopics that go along with that. Uh, you know, my wife is very involved in this uh, divine will movement. Louisa Picaretta. It's very very popular, and people are always talking about the divine will and uniting ourselves to the will. So I think it's a legitimate question to say, uh, what is the divine will? What, what does God want? And does he will things of necessity? How does that play in with free will? And if God's will is unchangeable, as Aquinas says, well, you know, well, why are we, are we still making decisions? And so there, there's a lot, you know, predestination, there's, there's a lot that we'll be unpacking today. Yeah, that's a good point. I was having this discussion with a friend uh, two weeks ago, actually, because I was making the point. I was saying that X was not pleasing to God, 
And they would say, and they responded, well, how do you know what's pleasing to God? How do you know the mind of God? Uh, you, you're saying that you can read God's mind? And I was like, well, no, but we can kind of deduce a certain things. Like, for instance, if someone is murdering someone, you can pretty much tell that's not pleasing to God, right? You kind of know. Now, you may not know, does God want me to eat chocolate pudding or vanilla pudding? Um, well, then you're just like, okay, now we're splitting hairs here. But as a general principle, we can understand these things, especially in regards to, like you said, people often say, Unite yourself to the will of God, but what on earth is that? Uh, so, Dave, let's start there for a second. Let's just touch on this. What? So, when we talk about the will of God, what do we mean? Well, the will of God. Thomas will say that any being that has intellect has will. Will kind of follows uh, from, from intellect, and love follows from 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 will. And so that's why the earthworm and the butterfly and the puppy dog do not have. Uh, wills because they don't have intellects. Okay. So since God is intellect, he also is his will. So he has that. And then Thomas also says that if you were to say the, the simple question of, well, what does God want? Well, God wants to communicate his goodness to creatures. Okay. So that, that's the simple answer is that he wants to communicate. And we see that in ourselves. You know, we're always, you know, I, I always think of uh, what Toya says during Sherathons where she says, when we give, we get the warm fuzzies, right? When we do something good, when we give of ourselves, it feels good. You know, we, we have a natural desire uh, to help people, to, to do good things. You know, we're naturally virtuous. And so God being, you know, the first efficient cause and the, uh, you know, you know the, 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 the maker of the world uh, wants to communicate his goodness. And so that, that's basically what he wants. Now, of course, you can, there's a lot of questions that arise from that, like the question, the conversation you had with your friend, but that's the basic answer. Very good. Very good. Now, whenever we discuss this, and like you, you kind of mentioned this as one of the questions you're going to be talking about back to the father, but let's just, let's touch on it for just a second. Uh, whenever we say that God is, has free will, yet God can't change his mind, how are those things not contradictory statements? Yeah, well, I think having free will, I don't think necessarily means that you change your mind. It's like um, people in heaven have free will, right? When you get when you get to heaven, you continue to have free will, but you're so locked in to the truth that you you would never consider sin. You would never consider doing something awry because you're so uh, in tune with, with God. And so they're, they're actually, and I don't know if I, I can pull this up. It's, it's actually, they're, they're, he, he asked that very, very question, whether God has free will. And he has this very answer. He says, God necessarily wills his own goodness, but other things not necessarily. He has free will with respect to what he does not necessarily will. And, and that's really interesting. So he's saying that God's free will is only... Uh, uh, is only really associated with the things that he doesn't will of necessity. Mm. Um, you know, so, and, and again, that, that's, uh, that's something we'll be talking about today. Uh, he doesn't, not all things are, are willed necessarily. Like, for example, we have free will. We, we can uh, disobey God. We can, we can, what he calls, have contingencies. But a lot of it has to do with what, what he calls the, the universal cause and the particular cause. Okay, if you look at the big picture, God's will is always fulfilled. God's will is never changed. But if you look at the little particular things that are happening, 
some of those may seem to go outside the will of God, but he, br- he brings it all back into his universal will. So, and there's, there's examples you can use from like parenting where you set up, you know, a situation where if the kid does this, he gets this, if he doesn't, he gets this. And either way, my will is fulfilled, but I'm still going to allow him to choose. But I've set up kind of the paradigm and I'll allow him to choose, but either way, he's either going to get disciplined or he'll get rewarded. But either way, my will is fulfilled, if that makes sense. Yes. So then I have a have a follow up there, and maybe this is not something you'll be talking about today. But the question then that I would ask is because this often comes up in conversation. It's kind of a very pious understanding, but I think it's I mean it is erroneous. Is that God can do whatever He wants, and they kind of take this to mean anything. And I think that, that the, the problem is that they kind of say, okay, well, uh, I, for instance, I was talking to somebody and I said, uh, can God create a three-sided square? And they said, yes, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. Uh, so what say you, Dave? Well, yeah, that, that's a great question. Uh, but uh, there's, a, there's a question of Summa that says, can God make not happen what has already happened? Like, for example, I had two eggs for breakfast this morning. Can God make that not to have happened? And Thomas says no, because that would imply a contradiction, because it did happen. And he can't make a four-sided triangle. He can't make two plus two, six. Uh, he, he can't make a square with one side longer than the other, because he, God can't contradict himself. So I would say absolutely, he can. There's, there's, there's no way that any of those can be done, because, and it doesn't limit his, his uh, omnipotence. It's just that he he it would he no longer be God because he'd be he'd be contradictory. Yeah, I think people kind of have this. I mean, and it's a very it comes from a very pious place. They want to say God is can do uh, all things, but what we mean by all things is all possible things, all real things. And I think it's important to keep in mind, especially when it comes to these kind of conversations. Uh, but yeah, I think that's very good. And and I think um I think that's a very important thing is kind of trying to check our piety with our theology. Don't you think, Dave? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, uh, we have to kind of keep it all in check and uh, make sure that uh, we don't assign any contradictions to God, even if we're trying to uh, assign Him, you know, uh, you know, absolute power in the case that your your friends are talking about. And I think that's important to, as to to keep in mind of why it's important to study philosophy and theology is because it helps us to love God and know God better. Because if we have this erroneous idea, it's actually not pious to think that God can contradict himself. It's actually more pious to know that God is pure logic, is pure reason, is pure freedom, is pure love. And so he would not do those things because it's just impossible for him to do so. Um, what say you, Dave? Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably the, the most practical application of this with God's will is prayer, because uh, I've had students that I teach say, well, wait, if God's will can't change, well, why would I pray? What's mm. the point? And there's a, there's a very good answer to that, that our prayer doesn't change God's mind. But again, it has to do with him setting up a big picture and allowing for contingencies. And if we do pray, it, it falls into uh uh, the, the the possibility of his will. So the prayer is still very efficacious, even if God can't change his mind. So there's a lot of different angles and things that we'll be talking about on the show today. A lot of different directions we'll be going. So it's, it's very it's very practical to talk about God's will. All right, Dave, where can people find out more information? 
Uh, we are going to be on Back to the Father today at 1 o'clock Central Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Time, and all the social media sites like Facebook and Twitter and the artists formerly known as, uh, yeah, no, the artists formerly known as Twitter, but YouTube and Facebook, 1 o'clock, and it'll be a one-hour show. And so hope everybody can join us. Thank you very much, Dave. We'll see you then. We're going to go into Fear and Trembling. Call now, 877-757-9424. We'll be right back. Are you feeling lost in a sea of overwhelm? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Many people find themselves challenged with overwhelm. Too many things to take care of, too many people to please, too much work to do. And in spite of their best efforts, they continue to fall behind with this overwhelm coming in like a flood. But that's not the abundant life that Jesus wants you to live. That's why Stand Tall Today has experienced professional coaches that will assist you in dialing down that overwhelm. They'll help you get a grasp on where you are and create a plan that enables you to take bite-sized steps of action so you can live an abundant life. Why not take your first step right now? Go to StandTallToday.com and find a coach that is just right for you. Because life is simply too short to stay lost in a sea of overwhelm. This is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Years ago when I started acting, modeling, and singing in Mexico, my Catholic faith was not the center of my life. It took me many years to discover that success, fame, money, and all the pleasures of the world were not going to fulfill me. I got to a point in my life where I thought I had everything, but I realized something was missing. Thankfully, I began a faith journey that brought me back to God and home to the Catholic Church. You can too. Discover more at CatholicsComeHome.com Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424 Eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four eight seven 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 five seven ninety four twenty four. That's the number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling, where we give out prizes and you could win. That number eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four. Now you may be asking, what am I calling in for? What's going on? It's really simple. Here I have three Catholic trivia questions. And the trick is, I'm not going to ask you the questions. No, I'm going to ask Rudy the questions. Rudy's going to give me an answer, and it's your job to tell me whether or not he is right or whether or not he is wrong. And every right answer will go into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Rudy, what could they win? Well, this week we are giving away a prize pack from the Mother Cabrini Shrine. That's right. I was there in Colorado about a week ago, actually, I uh, was uh, suffering, going up all of the stairs, going all the way up to the pinnacle where there was a relic of uh, Mother Cabrini. And it was a really wonderful opportunity. You know, I saw um, I saw the place where she struck her staff and uh, water flowed from this uh, this miraculous spring. I got to see the Whoa. overlook. It was a wonderful experience. And I put together a prize pack this week. That's centered around this wonderful saint. Uh, she's the patron saint of immigrants because uh, she uh, came from Italy to New York. Uh, 
And funny fact, Adrian, mm -hmm. is uh, I've heard that she is also the unofficial patron saint of finding a parking spot. <laughs> that's because that's because Why she. Is it funny? <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's impossible to find parking in New York. <laughs> So I didn't know that, but uh, anyway, we're going to give away a prize pack this week. Is that really why? Yeah, that's what they say. That's hilarious. Yeah, well, maybe I'll become the official patron saint of parking spots because when I lived in Hollywood. <laughs> you told me about that story. On average, an hour a day looking for parking. So, that's insanity. Yeah, that's insanity. Literally, like just like park a mile down the road and take a bring a bike. That's crazy. Uh, you can't do that in Hollywood. Really? No. Ugh. <laughs> no, thank you. All right. Well, there you go, folks. But, you know, before we jump into this, uh, the Mother Cabrini having – you're saying that she – did you happen to touch those to any of her relics while you were there? No. So her relic is actually behind uh, glass. Um, so there's no way for you to actually touch the relic, Lame. unfortunately. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Sad day. All right. All right. All right. Speaking of which, speaking of all right, joining us right now – is Patricia. Good morning to you, Patricia. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing all right. <laughs> uh, Patricia, where are you calling in from? Pensacola. Pensacola? Pensacola What's the go. weather like in Pensacola? Oh, the weather? Yes, ma'am. Well, it's cloudy today, but I hope it rains. Is it? Is it, what's, it. What's the temperature right now? Because it's starting to get cold in Houston. It was like... 70 degrees this morning, and I was like, what on earth? Uh, what's the temperature right now in, Pits in Pensacola? Well, about 74. Oh, it's hotter. Huh. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, we're supposed to have a cold it's front actually coming Actually, a little bit soon. cooler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently, allegedly, this is yet to be seen, allegedly tomorrow, it's going to be in the 50s in Houston. No way. I don't buy it. No I'm way. I'm like, no way. In the middle of October? What? Nah. Sweater weather? No. Anyway, Patricia, where are you headed off to this morning? I am headed off for Holy Mass. Hey, praise be to God. Uh, do me a favor and say a little prayer for me while you're there, if you would be so generous. Oh, and, and Rudy, too. Sure and Rudy, will. too. Well, thank you very much, Patricia. We very much. Oh, you say okie dokie. I love that. I, I say okie dokie. Uh, I like that. I like that a lot. All right, Patricia. And thank you very much for calling in. Are you familiar with you've You've called in before, no? Yes, I did, and okay. I won. Ah, praise be to God. Well, maybe you'll win again today. So let's see. You're ready to play, then. You know how the game is played. You are ready to dominate the competition. Are you ready to jump in? Sure am. All right, let's do it. Rudy, question number one for you. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Uh, St. Francis Cabrini, pray for us. Question number one. What are the only... Man-made things in heaven. The only man-made things in heaven. Let me think mm. about this really quickly here. Okay, so if we're going to follow the logic, okay, it would be the clothing that Our Lady wore oh. because she was assumed into heaven, right? Interesting. Interesting. All right. Uh, 15 seconds on the clock. Patricia, what say you? Is Rudy the Tricky right or wrong? The question is, what are the only man-made things in heaven? Rudy says they are the clothing of the Blessed Virgin. What say you, Patricia, from Pensacola, Florida? Well, I don't know, but that sounds pretty reasonable. 
It does sound pretty reasonable, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> All right. A uh, survey says... Well... We're going to give it to you. Yeah. We're going to give it to you. Apparently, the only man-made things in heaven are the wounds of our Lord. Yeah. But what about the clothing? Yeah, that's a good question. Huh, I never thought about that until you just said that. What if they don't exist anymore? Now they have glorified clothing. Well, I mean, okay, so it's kind of a side note. Now I don't want to jump off too much on this. But, <laughs> the, <laughs> but then the... the after so, show. Yeah, after show question. But the... Because uh, like some will say that in in the new heavens, new earth, people won't have clothing because you'd be back in the state of uh, original justice and original integrity, hmm. like you were in the Garden of Eden. Okay, and there was no need for clothing because there's no shame, no lust, no anything like that. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's no clothing in heaven. Hmm. Uh, maybe that, but that's weird to me. Maybe they just appear to us with clothing because we're still on Earth, and that would be weird. Right. Um, I don't know. That's an interesting question. We're going to give it to you anyway, Patricia, because that was a, that was super, that's super tricky. And I don't even know why, why that's not the right answer. You know, I didn't even mean it to be that tricky, but that was probably the trickiest <laughs> reaction I've ever had on yeah, the show. You said that immediately. I was like, huh? <laughs> All right, Patricia, we're giving it to you. But the correct answer was the wounds on the glorified body of Christ. Uh, so praise be to God, Patricia. Are you ready for question number two? Yes. All right. Hopefully this next question won't be as tricky. Let's jump in. Question number two, Rudy. From what two words is the word orthodox derived? Ah, yes. It's all Greek to me. And apparently for the Greeks, it means orthos, which means straight and doxa for opinion. So believe it or not, you you can have a right opinion. There is a no correct way. right opinion. I only have right opinions, so yeah, that's true. That's that's I mean that's what I do. All right, Patricia, 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is From what two words is the word orthodox derived? Well, Rudy says it's Greek to him, which I mean, yeah, I mean orth- the word orthodox is in fact Greek. That is a fact. He says orthos meaning for straight or correct and doxa meaning opinion so you have right opinion or right belief or straight opinion what say you patricia from pensacola florida i'm not too up on my greek but that sounds pretty good all right let's see survey says that is correct patricia way to go i i mean you know i actually speak like 500 languages I speak pretty much every single language. Every single language there is, I speak it. I mean, it's all Greek to me, but I know it. Watch, watch this. Well, I was I was Curier. a teacher, so I speak children too. <laughs> very good, very good. What what grade? What grade? Well, I taught first, second, third, fifth, and eighth grades. Plus, I was a librarian and also a principal of school. Oh. So basically everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Praise be to God, Patricia. That's amazing. All right, Patricia, are you ready for the last question here? Sure am. All right. I think you might be able to get this one. If you're a long-term listener, we did a number of shows talking about this exact topic. The question is, who inherited the Shroud of Turin in 1983? Hint, it was not me. No, you didn't get it. I didn't get it. You didn't get a slice? I didn't get it. All right. Well, it's the Sisters of Perpetual Adoration of the Veil. Oh. Yeah, they they had a very special devotion to the Shroud of Turin. 
and they uh, have it displayed prominently in their their monastery. Wow. Yeah. I had no clue. That's interesting. Well, let's see if Patricia has a clue here. Uh, 15 seconds on the clock, Patricia. The question is, who inherited the Shroud of Turin in 1983? Well, Rudy says it's the Sisters of the Perpetual Adoration of the, the Shroud of the Holy Veil. And it's they it's left in their monastery. Uh, what say you, Patricia? If it's in Turin, I guess it's true. Are you sure you want to go with true? Maybe not. Maybe I not. I like these tricky ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's your final answer, Patricia? No. She's going to go with no. All She's right. Go no. Let's see. Survey says that is correct, Patricia. Uh, Rudy was being tricky, but you can tell the right answer because he said of the veil, but the shroud is a shroud, not a veil. Is a shroud. There you go. Right. There you go. Very good, Patricia. All right, stay in the line with us. We're gonna. Rudy's gonna be shaking up the coffee cup of divine providence. He's gonna draw a name from the cup. Let's see. There's a drum me, roll. You tell me when to stop. All right, ready, ready, and stop. Jonah Burrier. Jonah! Let's go, Jonah. We love it. Praise be to God. Well, way to go, Patricia. Your name was not drawn today, but you did great on the show. Uh, feel free to call back, but God bless you. God love you. And pray for us at Holy Mass today. Sure will. Well, thank you very much. Have a blessed day, and uh, hope the weather treats you well in Florida. Yes, thank you. All right. All right, that's going to do it. Praise be to God, Jonah. We're going to send you that prize. A pretty awesome gift right there. So hopefully with, uh, there's like, I think there's enough things that you can split it with your siblings even. He's like, I ain't splitting it. That's mine. I won that. I earned it. All right, Jonah. Praise be to God. You rock. And we're going to go into our after show. I'm sure we'll talk about boxing. Maybe we'll talk about the will of God. Maybe we'll talk about, I don't know, whatever it is you want to talk about. We will talk about it. Just hop on our social media streams, Facebook, Rumble, YouTube, Odyssey, and we'll talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. God bless you. God love you. We'll see you in the after show. But if not, we'll see you back here Monday morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe and Catholic Spirit Radio. And if you want to stick with us and have a conversation with us over the weekend, join our email list. Well, we'll see you then. God bless you. God love you. And I'll see you very soon. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. And for all those present. All creatures of our God and King, 
Lift up your voice and with us sing. Alleluia, Alleluia. Thou burning sun with golden beam, Thou silver moon with softer gleam, Oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, who called St. Bruno to serve you in solitude, grant through his intercession that amid the changes of this world we may constantly look to you alone. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of the prophet Baruch. During the Babylonian captivity, the exiles prayed, Justice is with the Lord our God, and we today are flushed with shame. We men of Judah and citizens of Jerusalem, that we, with our kings and rulers, and priests and prophets, and with our ancestors, have sinned in the Lord's sight and disobeyed him. We have neither heeded his, the voice of the Lord our God, nor followed the precepts which the Lord set before us. From the time the Lord led our ancestors out of the land of Egypt until the present day, we have been disobedient to the Lord our God, and only too ready to disregard his voice. And the evils and the curse that the Lord enjoined upon Moses, his servant, at the time he led our ancestors forth from the land of Egypt to give us the land flowing with milk and honey, cling to us even this today. For we did not heed the voice of the Lord our God in all the words of the prophets whom he sent us, but each one of us went off 
after the devices of his own wicked heart, served other gods, and did evil in the sight of the Lord our God. The Word of the Lord. For the glory of your name, O Lord, deliver us. For the glory of your name, O Lord, deliver us. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the corpses of your servants as food to the birds of heaven, the flesh of your faithful ones to the beast of the earth. For For the the glory glory of your name, O Lord, deliver us. They have poured out their blood like water round about Jerusalem, and there is no one to bury them. We have become the reproach of our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. O Lord, how long? Will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? For the glory of your name, O Lord, deliver us. Remember not against the iniquities of the past, May your compassion quickly come to us, for we are brought very low. For the glory of your name, O Lord, deliver us. Help us, O God, our Savior, because of the glory of your name. Deliver us and pardon our sins for your name's sake. For the glory of your name, O Lord, deliver us. Alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia. If today you hear my voice, harden not your hearts. Alleluia. 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 The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to them, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty deeds done in your midst had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would long ago have repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the, at the judgment than for you. And as for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will go down to the netherworld. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. This morning's Gospel from the 10th chapter of Luke is a continuation from what we were reading yesterday. Yesterday we heard Jesus sending out his disciples, the 72, and the mission was very clear. Go out and act in my place. Go out and serve as I have served. Go out and do and speak as I have done and spoken. There's a kind of identification which takes place between Jesus and the disciples, and indeed this is the transference that takes place with the church. The church as the body of Christ is called to speak with the voice of Jesus and is called to minister as Jesus had done. This morning's gospel we hear Jesus say, whoever listens to you listens to me and whoever rejects you rejects me. 
which I suppose on the one hand can sound kind of convenient. Hey, whatever I say, they have to listen to me as if it's Jesus saying. But of course, underlining that and keeping in mind yesterday's gospel is the responsibility that in this identification of Jesus with his disciples, the responsibility is there that we must speak with the voice of Jesus. In other words, it is never our own message that we're trying to share and communicate, but it is the message of the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, who is the definitive revelation of who God is, and therefore the perfect revelation of who God is, and we then are humble stewards of the mystery handed to us and of the revelation revealed in Jesus Christ that we then are called to go and share. And this is why the voice of the disciple is to be listened to as if it comes from the voice of Christ because it is presumed that the identification with Jesus is so great that we are only going to speak with his voice in his name. And that really has to do entirely when we speak about the deposit of faith and what it means with respect to the church is precisely to say there is no revelation yet to be given that hasn't already been given to us in Jesus Christ. If Jesus is the word made flesh, there is nothing more to be said. It's like we hear in the letter to the Hebrews, in times past God spoke in partial and fragmentary ways, but now he has spoken to us in his fullness in Jesus because he is the perfect image of the living God, because Jesus is God himself who reveals to us the face of the Father. It's interesting, in these days, you hear sometimes people talking about things which may or may not be able to change in the church. And I think one kind of very good example of this idea and of what Jesus' revelation means to us is with respect to the ordination of woman or the exclusion of woman from ordination to the sacred priesthood. And John Paul II in 1994, when he wrote his apostolic letter, Ordinatio Sacerdotalis, he made precisely this point to say, the church herself has no authority to change this teaching because it came from Christ himself, who chose his apostles to be only males, Despite the fact he was not bound by his cultural milieu, he was not bound by social convention, despite the fact that his mother is the most exalted disciple and human being who was conceived without sin, Mary wasn't chosen to be a priest. It was divinely willed by Jesus himself. And so John Paul II concluded with these words, Wherefore, in order that all doubt may be removed regarding a matter of great importance, a matter which pertains to the Church's divine constitution itself, in virtue of my ministry of confirming the brethren, I declare that the Church has no authority whatsoever to confer priestly ordination on women, and that this judgment is to be definitively held by all the Church's faithful. This is the conclusion to Ordinatio Sacerdotalis. In fact, at the time, in 1994, the statement was so strong and so much resembled a papal infallible statement that a dubium was submitted to say, did John Paul II just make an infallible or papal infallible statement? And the response to that, which came from the CDF at the time, basically said, it was not a papal infallible statement, 
However, it was an infallible statement based on the third category of the Church's infallible teaching found in Lumen Gentium called the Ordinary Universal Teaching Magisterium. Lumen Gentium identified three ways that infallible statements can be identified. A papal infallible statement, a infallible statement coming from an ecumenical council, and this third category, the Ordinary Universal Teaching Magisterium, and John Paul II was saying it is infallible, it is of the faith definitively, but it belongs to this third category of teaching that was identified by John Paul or by Vatican II. And this really is an example to say in being given the privilege to speak in such a way that whoever listens to us is listening to Jesus, that carries with it the responsibility to say Jesus is the perfection of God's revelation and our voice must be consonant with the voice of the Good Shepherd. This is where the transference takes place. This is the gift. This is the responsibility. And so, my brothers and sisters, as we go forward today, let us give thanks to God for the gift that in Jesus we have the fullness of revelation, that he shows us who God truly is. And let us ask that in our humble submission of our intellect and will to Jesus and to his and to his revelation that these words whoever listens to you listens to me that we would be so identified with Jesus that this would always be the case amen Trusting in our Father's love and mercy, let us bring our petitions before him. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and for all bishops, for their physical and spiritual needs, we pray to the Lord. We pray for government leaders that they would be inspired by the Holy Spirit to enact just laws that would always safeguard and promote the dignity of human life at every phase, we pray to the Lord. We pray for the sick and the suffering, that they would be given consolation in their faith and the courage and perseverance to unite their sufferings with Christ on the cross. We pray to the Lord. For our family, friends, benefactors, for those who have asked for our prayers, for those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio Network, and for those enrolled in the Salt Mass Association, we pray to the Lord. For an increase in vocations to the sacred priesthood and religious life, we pray to the Lord. For those intentions that we hold in our heart, we pray to the Lord. Merciful Father, we thank you for hearing our petitions and granting our prayers through Christ our Lord. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. Blessed. 
Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Fruit of the vine and work of human hands, it will become our spiritual drink. brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Receive, O Lord, we pray, the offerings made for the salvation of your people, so that through the intercession of blessed Bruno, we may flee the enticements of sin and draw near to the company of heaven through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. For in the saints who consecrated themselves to Christ for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, it is right to celebrate the wonders of your providence by which you call human nature back to its original holiness and bring it to experience on this earth the gifts you promise in the new world to come. And so with all the angels and saints we praise you as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Plenis Uncelli et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna, in You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood the blood of the new and eternal covenant which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith 
When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the blessed apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours, forever and ever. Amen. Precepti salutaribus moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus dicere, Pater noster, qui es in celis, sanctifice tuhur nomen tuhum, adveniat regnum tuhum, Fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra. Panem nostrum coditianum, da nobis hodie, et imite nobis debita nostra. Sicut et nos dimitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem. Sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, Miserere nobis, Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, Miserere nobis, Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, Dona nobis pacem. 
Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. For those unable to receive communion and those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio, let us pray together the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The King of love, my shepherd is, whose goodness fails me never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine. Where streams of living water flow, my ransomed soul he leadeth, and where the verdant pastures grow. With food celestial <clears throat> Let us pray. By the power of this sacrament which we have received, renew our hearts, O Lord so that by the example of blessed Bruno, being wise in the things above and not in the things of earth here below, we may merit to appear in glory with Christ, who lives and reigns forever and ever. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. O Santissima, O Pissima, Dulcis Virgo Maria, Mater Amata, in temerata ora, ora pro no be.
Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee, through the intercession and help of the Archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Celebrating 2,000 years of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.